Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're tackling social anxiety, which feels like it's become ubiquitous since the pandemic began. Social interactions seem to take more energy after being physically distanced for so long. The world feels more polarized and therefore a bit more intimidating. And then there's the real fear of social interaction. Given all of this, plus the fact that many Americans are back to in-person school and work, and the holiday season is approaching, I thought I'd reach out to a few teenagers in our Buddhist community to ask what their pandemic experience has been like and if they have any advice for dealing with social anxiety. But first, some context and a disclaimer. Social anxiety disorder, also called social phobia, has a medical definition. To be clear, it's not the same thing as simply being shy. The American Psychological Association explains it as fear of social situations in which embarrassment may occur, or there's a risk of being negatively evaluated by others. Social anxiety involves apprehensiveness about one's social status, role, and behavior. When the anxiety causes an individual significant distress or impairment in functioning, a diagnosis of social phobia may be warranted. At the same time, however, over a year and a half of physical distancing due to the pandemic has brought about an increase in symptoms of both depression and social anxiety in kids, teens, and adults. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America explains it like this. Humans crave social interaction, so much in fact that we tend to live longer, happier lives when we have strong social connections with others. The social distancing measures put in place for our physical health during the COVID-19 pandemic have caused a reduction in face-to-face social contact for most of us, including many kids and teens. Particularly during this critical developmental period, many kids and teens became more used to social distancing than social interactions. This can shrink their social comfort zone and may cause the return to regular activities like school and soccer practice to feel very anxiety-provoking. When faced with an anxiety-provoking situation, we tend to avoid that situation. In this case, kids and teens might be avoiding classmates, friends, and family almost entirely. So, today we're going to meet teenagers Suda, Nico, and Kimmy, who are all in high school in different parts of the country. Of course, their advice is not medical advice, and if you feel that your fear of social situations is debilitating, then we recommend seeking professional support. But if you're just feeling a little wary of reconnecting with people, or a little bit more fearful of being judged, their advice is so encouraging. I've edited our conversations down for clarity and length, so I'll walk you through it this time. But first, let's say hi. So uh, my name's Nico, and I'm based in uh, Washington State, and I am 14 years old right now. Um, My name is Kimmy Dixon. Um, I'm 14 years old, and I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. My name is Suda Shahi. I am 17 years old, and I am calling from Rowan Heights, California. I asked each of them just three questions. First, what's your pandemic experience been like? Have you struggled with social anxiety before? And what advice would you give to someone right now about dealing with social anxiety? 
But first, let's get to know them a little bit and understand how they started practicing Buddhism. So um, I actually started chanting as um, early as like age, uh, age four, actually, because of like uh, elementary school division meetings and stuff. Um, so I would um, often like go to these meetings and, um, and you know, I'd like uh, hang out with the other kids and then I'd, like uh, we'd like do chanting and stuff and that how I sort of got into the practice. And I was, I was born into the practice, actually. Nico explained that he decided to chant because of a medical condition he faced at the age of six, a non-cancerous tumor in his right arm that required surgery. Simply put, chanting helped him feel better, and as he got older, he tried to do more and more. Right now I'm trying to do like half an hour, but sometimes like with school and everything, it like doesn't, doesn't turn out like that I uh, end up chanting that long. But, um, but really seems like, like when I um, really like make the effort to like chant longer, like my mood just like improves. And like it just um, like everything in my life just seems to go a little smoother as, as a result of like um, like my life condition, like improving and stuff. In 2017, Nico and his family moved from Hawaii to Washington State, and he was nervous about finding the right doctor to continue surgery for his arm. And since we moved here, we actually um, I think it's really through my practice and through all my chanting that I've done for this condition. Um, we found a, an amazing doctor. Um, that uh, like specializes in my condition. Um, and her, her son actually had this, uh, this identical condition um, when he was like my age. So it was really interesting. And um, yeah, and she's, she's like one of the best doctors in her field. So it's, it's really, really cool. Kimmy, who's also 14, had a similar journey into the practice, dealing with major health challenges at a young age, which caused her further challenges in making friends. Well, I started when I was really young, like seven, eight. That was when I started to go through, you know, friendships, talking, socializing with people. And um, because I have a disability, it's it's harder for me to talk to other people. And I, I'm not comfortable with talking to other people. And I struggle with that a lot. And I struggle with making friends. And um, chanting, I went to the Cajon Zone and chanted to meet new people and good people that will be my good friend. Not only did she chant to make friends, but also to manage treatment for her condition called osteogenesis imperfecta, which she explained means that her bones are very fragile and can break very easily. I broke about 200 bones. I lost track because it's just it was so frequent that I always broke my bones. Um, I've done many surgeries and that's what I've always went back to the Cajonson for surgeries because I had so much anxiety and, you know, surgeries have so much higher risks, especially with the certain surgeries I do. Like, um, I had scoliosis, so I had to have, um, metal rods in my back and that is very uh, risky surgery. And my mom kind of was like, Let's teach you to chant. You'll hear more from Kimmy in a bit because a lot of her experience has been dealing with social challenges and bullying due to her disability. But I was so amazed at her attitude. Whenever I started to go through difficulties with making friends, like for an example, my friends would tell me, hey, I'm not going to invite you to my birthday party because you're disabled. And they would tell me those kind of harsh stuff. And I would always be, you know, really sad and hurt by it and I was I just I wanted to make better friends that 
treated me nicely. So just chanting Nam Myoho and Kikyo for five minutes, 10 minutes, I realized how much it really helps me because the next day or couple days after I started to meet new people and I was I got into the correct direction of meeting new people and I think that was when I realized chanting you know really helps me and that's why I always go back. And finally let's meet Suda who's currently a senior in high school. She sort of came to develop her practice on her own while originally introduced to chanting Nam Myoho Rengekyo together with her family, who chanted to have her be able to join them in the U.S. from Nepal in 2012, she decided to continue on her own, based on a friend who always invited her to Buddhist community meetings. I really fell in love with it because everyone was so kind and welcoming, and just chanting with everyone. Even then, I felt like really harm- like harmonized with everyone, so I really liked that, and I think I practiced by myself because at the same time, I was just entering high school. And so it was like the perfect time because I was going through all these new obstacles as a high schooler. Like you're losing friends, you're gaining friends. You don't know what to do with your life. You're just like stuck. And so this chant, this chanting helped me kind of like propel instead of being in a gray area, helped me propel into like a more positive attitude towards my studies. And so that's why I started chanting on my own. I also asked each of them if they have a favorite Buddhist concept that they think is important for people who are new to chanting to know about. And together, they offer a really helpful picture of the main tenets of Buddhism. Well, I like, um, I'm a big fan of like the concept or the idea that um, like karma isn't like a, a static thing. I like, um, like how it's like, um, can be like formed and shaped by like what you do right now, you know, mainly chanting and you can um, like change karma in this life and like for your next life. And I find that pretty cool. Because like, um, like what you do right now, obviously will change what happens in the future. So by chanting, like, um, you can like, sort of like change that karma that you already have. So it's like, from now on, you know. <laughs> Most people think of karma as like a negative way because you did this negative thing, this negative effect doesn't happen on you and you have no like control over it. I don't like look at it because of this practice. I don't look at karma or any obstacle that happens to me as a negative way. I think of it as like another a uh, way for me to propel my wheel of human revolution towards like, you know, bettering myself and finding growth in my, within myself. So maybe if I go to an obstacle, I can chant and that way I'm like making another, I'm, I'm pushing the, another wheel towards my human revolution. Um, so for anyone who's like listening to this and who isn't uh, a Buddhist themselves, um, I think the reason why I think my concept, my favorite concept of there not being such a thing as a bad karma and human revolution is that knowing that you have like control over your life. One of it is um, winter always turns to spring. I've, my mom taught me that quote when I was maybe like 10 and I started to really grow onto that quote. And I, I always think whenever I'm struggling or when I don't have friends or when I'm alone that right now I'm in winter, but I will become happy and I will go to spring. I'll be happy and I'll find my own friends. That's the concept that um, helped me because I felt like I was such in a dark time, but I know that I will be okay and I will make new friends. Kimmy explained that when her mom taught her that quote, she had a shoulder fracture and she couldn't be with her friends in school. The concept is actually such a perfect one to address social anxiety or simply coming out of a period of waiting where re-engaging or taking action feels really difficult. 
So now let's get into hearing a little bit about what Suda, Nico, and Kimmy's pandemic experiences have been like in the last year and a half. I asked each of them, what was the hardest part for you or the biggest lesson that you learned? Um, for the pandemic, my mental health was like one of the largest challenges that I faced. And I think my first actual real experience in this practice and also learning experience, because in my culture, um, having like knowing about your mental health and like acknowledging that you have these issues like we all as humans we have these issues right we need to take care of ourselves here and there um but in my culture it's like kind of like a voodoo we don't really talk about it um because we're kind of like reserved kind of a culture um but during the pandemic i had so much more time to think about what i was as a person what was happening to me because like all of these like negatives were just happening in our world and um it really gave me the time to think about it because I was just at home the whole day uh, thinking about all these things happening. And I'm like, like, why can't I do anything about this? I'm so stressed, anything like that. Um, and that was one of the biggest learning experiences because that that pandemic, I had my first panic attack. And it's like my only one, which I hope not, it doesn't happen again because I'm taking time like day by day to, you know, be in tune with myself so it doesn't happen again. But that was the learning experience I faced because now I kind of think of it as a way for me to like feel more connected with my parents, feel more connected within myself, um, learn something new about me as a human being, you know? They also each shared about the challenges of reopening. Nico explained that because he's already homeschooled and moved states a few years ago, he doesn't really have too many friends in Washington outside of extracurriculars. Over the pandemic, he spent time connecting with friends in different parts of the country virtually. But the one activity that he's really passionate about, which is sailing, was something that he wasn't able to do for a long time, both because of the pandemic and because of his surgery schedule. Now, working with his doctor and after his last surgery, he's back at it. Meanwhile, Kimmy shared that going back to school in person after doing it online was a huge challenge because the rest of her friends started in-person school a year before she did while she stayed home due to being higher risk. I was doing online school for a year and I missed my whole entire eighth grade year. And I felt like that eighth grade year, everybody made friends and everybody got into friend groups, but I was just kind of like, not in a friend group, and I was just kind of, um, I just felt alone, and I never understood what, what people were talking about, or the memories they had, and the biggest challenge was going back to high school, and trying to find friends, and trying to find that friend group in high school, but you just lost that, um, ability to talk to people, because you haven't talked to people, and meet new people for like a year, and you just don't know how to talk to new people. I just felt alone during that time. But Kimmy decided to challenge it through chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo and being proactive despite how she felt. In the summer, I was, you know, preparing for high school and I was chanting to meet new friends and be with better people, you know? And I was, I was just scared. So I was always chanting, you know, to everything like, I'll be okay and I will be able to adjust to high school life and still once I went back to high school it was really scary so I always went back to the Gohon Zone to chant I'm going to find my friend group and I'm going to have people that respect me so I was alone in lunch but I found um, people from my classes and I just started sitting next to them and for example in bio, bio class um, there was this girl she was sitting alone 
And I went up to her and I was like, hey, can you, can we sit together? Because I'm alone too. And she was like, yeah, let's sit together. And um, we just built such a great connection. And I was like, hey, can I sit next to you at lunch? And I sat next to her and I sat next to her friend group. And then I became friends with her friend group. And that's kind of how I've met my friends at lunch. What Kimmy is describing is the spirit of taking action, which in SGI Nichiren Buddhism is a crucial step that comes after chanting, since chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo is what gives us the courage or wisdom to take the action to solve our problems. But sometimes, even when we have been working at something, a setback can make us feel really defeated. This was Suda's experience. While she's socially outgoing, she really struggles with giving presentations and often speaks too fast for people to really understand her. So during the pandemic, in the Zoom environment, she used every opportunity she could to practice her speaking and presenting through both school and Buddhist Zoom meetings. But then, when school reopened in person, things didn't go so well. From these meetings, obviously, I was able to find growth in my speaking skills because I was speaking so much in the meetings and I was practicing to speak better, too, as well. And so that all paid off during the pandemic and in the environment that I was in. But then when school happened again, I was really excited to do my presentations because I felt like, hey, I found so much growth in myself. Hey, I speak so much clearly because of this practice. I can go back to school and show off to everyone. But then when we finally did like a presentation for history class, I just started speaking like where I was in the beginning before the pandemic. I just started rambling. I just, you know, just like really scared in front of the class for no reason. I don't know why. Because like it was like after the presentation happened, there's also supposed to like ask questions and stuff. And I felt like it was for my own like fault that no one was able to ask questions or anything because I spoke really fast and no one understood me. And after the presentations happened, I felt like really shut down because I was like, I should be doing better now. Like, why am I not back to how I was during the pandemic? Despite feeling so defeated, Suda decided to chant. And after speaking with other Buddhist friends, she realized that growth isn't necessarily linear. And she decided that she would challenge herself once again to try to adapt to the new environment of being back in person. In the environment of the Zoom, where I was in a comfortable environment like my room, and I was able to just focus in the meeting. And I wasn't actually seeing people face to face. I was like looking at my screen. So I think I was more comfortable that way. So looking at it that way, I don't feel as terrible as like as um, bad about myself not being able to speak as properly as it should be right now. I'm like, I adapted to the environment that I was given during the pandemic. It's another way for me to find growth in myself in a different environment, you know. So the way that Buddhism kind of helped me in like this environment feeling shut down was that it helped me in allowing me to not be discouraged by my new obstacle of like um, speaking clearly in my school environment rather than I was rather I was like motivated to find growth within myself and in my mindset so I just look at it as like oh hey this is this is a new way this is a new way you just have to adapt to it and you'll be fine. Simple as these examples might sound it's the small day-to-day inner battles that define how we feel about ourselves and create our lives. I was so encouraged by their honesty and found myself reflecting on the small ways I can really use chanting to tackle my own social experiences, whether they cause anxiety or any other negative emotion. So, on that note, here is Suda, Nico, and Kimmy's advice for anyone struggling with social anxiety right now. Um, I want everyone to know that, like, uh, you are not alone. Um, it's like 
the way that you feel is like everyone kind of feels that right now because of the pandemic. I certainly felt it this way too. Um, and also know that like because you're feeling this way, don't be shut down because you're kind of embarking on your own human revolution. So even though you feel like, oh, I have no control over the way that I'm right now, um, I feel so stuck. Know that this is a way for you to another like karma or in a sense your own another way for you to um, change yourself and grow yourself. Grow, find growth within yourself and I want everyone to know that like the real progress takes time and so even if you feel like um I haven't made any progress and I feel like show shut down and like my social skills are still terrible um don't feel like you haven't made any progress because it takes time you know sometimes I like tend to with like a big group of people I sometimes like tend to like um like become like a quiet like quieter and like what do you call it like a flying the wall <laughs> so uh just like you know, listening instead of like actually engaging and i think um it just like instead of like doing that i think like um like for myself at least i think that um probably like like most of the time people aren't gonna judge you as much as you think they are you know it's like a lot more than just like one thing you say so i think just like realizing that and just like kind of opening up like sometimes even just like a smile and some laughter like it really helped like conversation a ton because it just helps people lighten up and become more easy to converse with and stuff it's just hard to go up to people because you always have that in your mind like oh they're going to judge you what if they don't like you or just some type of way but i know that if i don't talk to them nothing's going to happen so i have to be first to go up to them and talk to them because that's what builds the friendship and once you talk to new people you share about your condition so that they know instead of just them questioning to you so that they know who you are. Like, my friends will still ask me, like, what is your condition? And I teach them, you know, what it exactly is and, like, what I struggle with. And I feel like that's what helped them open their eyes of, you know, Kimmy goes through things, but she's still a person. You can still talk to her and still be her friend. I was struck by how much this advice resonates with what I read in another post from ADAA, where therapist Jennifer Shannon shares three strategies to decrease social anxiety. She writes, one, set a realistic intention when you venture out in public. It's impossible to follow rules that will please everyone. So instead, follow the rules that make the most sense to you based on recommendations from reputable sources. Expect and accept that others may not approve, adopting the expansive mindset. If I displease someone, I can forgive myself, whether they forgive me or not. Second, curb the urge to seek reassurance from others that you're doing the right thing. Getting reassurance reinforces the belief that if we do everything right, we will avoid criticism. True confidence comes from allowing for mistakes and accepting that we cannot please everyone. And three, Allow any feelings of shame and embarrassment that arise to dissipate on their own. Negative emotions are not a sign that you have done something wrong. It is natural and inevitable that we will feel uncomfortable in uncertain social situations. When we open to uncomfortable emotions rather than contract or try to distract ourselves from them, they will change more quickly. So, whether it's this type of social anxiety or simply the stress of connecting with more or new people after a very long time of being alone, you're not actually alone. 
In fact, just in time for Thanksgiving, the popular newsletter Girls Night In crowdsourced a list of questions to ask new people if you feel like it's a little harder to socialize than it was in the past. I'll link to it in the show notes. It seems like everybody needs a little bit of help. The questions range from specifics like what are you looking forward to in the next few months to how to get to know people by asking what's something people would be surprised to know about you to even bigger questions like what makes you feel energized. When I read them, I was struck by how much space I've had to have these kinds of conversations through my Buddhist community, addressing many aspects of life in a warm, safe, and also diverse environment over the last year and a half. Having that community, plus chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, really helps one take the first step forward when it feels difficult. So, on that note, I'll leave you with a final bit of advice from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda in case you do feel like you've ever said or done the wrong thing in a social situation. You can find this quote in our Buddhability article, Why Buddhists Don't Sweat Mistakes. He writes, Nothing is irredeemable in youth. Rather, the worst mistake you can make when you're young is to give up and not challenge yourselves for fear of failure. The past is the past, and the future is the future. Keep moving forward with a steady eye on the future, telling yourselves, I'll start from today. I'll start fresh from now, from this moment. As always, if you want to get in touch or learn about your local Buddhist community, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.